you're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Everybody, welcome back to this big episode of the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. I am pleased and proud to be speaking today with Ms. Leslie Silverglide. She is the co-founder and CEO of a fast-growing, fast-casual chain that is also leading the charge for sustainability in the restaurant business. They care as much about providing a healthy menu as they do in caring for the environment. What really intrigues is why their most loyal customers at this concept, it's called Mixed, M-I-X-T, based in San Francisco, but growing in multiple states. What really astounds me is their most loyal customers are dining at Mixed 21 times a month, okay? We're going to hear all about what it's like and how to start a fast-growing brand that is taking off, best practices, all the good stuff about running restaurants and building a brand. Stay tuned and listen on. Welcome back, everyone, to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. And these are topics that help restaurants build their brands, rock their profits, and deliver amazing guest service experiences. I'm so excited today because I'm speaking with Ms. Leslie Silverglide, and she is the co-founder and CEO of a fast-growing, fast-casual, sustainable chain called Mixed. And they're based in San Francisco, but they're making a stance for creating lasting change for sustainability in restaurants. That's a really unique angle, and I'm excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you. So you call yourself a mompreneur and an ecopreneur at the same <laughs> time, and I think, I think that's really terrific, and that kind of caught my attention. So do you want to describe to me what that means or how, you know, how... You know how you're doing this. You're you're a mom, and you're also an you know an eco-friendly entrepreneur, and you're really changing the world one restaurant at a time. But you're making a huge impact. So tell us about that, and then I'll ask you how you got into this business. But start there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was definitely an ecopreneur first. So my background is in environmental sustainability. So I studied geography and environmental engineering in college and then went on to do a master's in science in biodiversity conservation and management. And while I was doing that, I realized that I was not meant to be an on-the-ground conservationist, and, but wanted to have a huge impact in terms of reducing the amount of resources that are consumed by our planet. And so I thought the most interesting way to do that would be to start a business that was first and foremost about delivering a great service or product, um, but that also happened to be environmentally sustainable throughout. And at the time, this was in 2004, so going back about 15 years, especially in the restaurant industry, there was definitely a movement to source food locally for fine dining restaurants in California and beyond. Um, but there wasn't a model for restaurants thinking about their entire footprint. And so I thought that it would be a really interesting place to try to do something completely different and serve people delicious meals that were sustainable. And so that's how I got started as an eco entrepreneur. Um, and then very lucky 10 years later, I became a, a mom entrepreneur as well or mompreneur um with the birth of my daughter so life is very full how old is your daughter now i have a five-year-old daughter and a two and a half year old son oh congratulations you know i miss those days my kids are now 12 and 14 but those were the fun time was when they were really really small and i wish i could turn that clock back and go back there it was so much fun so good for you enjoy that oh, thanks i am I, um... So we have something else in common. I, I understand that you're a big skier and that the idea or the brainchild for Mixed really came after some powder turns. Is that correct? It is. So I had um, finished my master's. I did it in the UK at um, Oxford University. And my, awesome. my boyfriend and I at the time, he had just done his MBA at Oxford and we had moved to California to start this environmentally responsible business together. Um, and we were still trying to figure out exactly what it was. We hadn't fallen into the restaurant industry yet. And we happened to be, we're, 
big skiers and snowboarders. And we decided um, to go up with my brother, who's a fine dining chef. We went to Tahoe for an incredible powder day and uh, had a very long car ride home. And so as we were talking about the business that we wanted to build, we just started talking about the restaurant industry and his frustrations, always working in fine dining restaurants and not being able to, to get that level of quality and level of ingredients in a fast casual or quick service setting. And so all of a sudden, all the ideas started coming together. And in this car ride, we said, you know what? What if we completely flipped what has defined quick service and fast casual and make it sustainable, source really good, incredible, high quality ingredients like you would expect at a fine dining restaurant and bring people healthy meals and see if it's something that resonates. So we got back from our, our trip and we... The next day, my brother called me and said, are, are we really doing this? And I said, yeah, I, th I think we are. we got to go do some research. So let's hit the street and see what we can learn out there. But yeah, I think it's really compelling. It's amazing how we get into this business sometimes with limited experience. I also have an MBA and I had business skills, but I had no restaurant experience. But I was living at a ski resort and I saw an opportunity to create a concept at that ski resort. And I spent 20 years there building four high volume, high profit restaurants, learning everything from scratch as I went along. So, you know, uh, and then I moved to Sun Valley, Idaho, and I lived there for a couple of years, didn't own restaurants, and then moved back to the state of Maine a year ago. And then three months ago, I bought another restaurant. So, you know, the fashion, oh <laughs> we're in it. Right. Once it's in your blood, it doesn't leave, right? It's absolutely true. So the chef obviously is involved in mixed as well. So you had some experience. Um, what were some of the biggest challenges opening your first location? I mean, what really kept you up at night? What did you, you know, really hard, strive hard to overcome? What were the obstacles? Do you recall? Yeah. So the the biggest obstacle and first obstacle for us was finding a location. Okay. And so at, at the time I was 24 years old and just calling up brokers in San Francisco when I would see signs in the window that said for lease um, and going in meeting with various uh, representatives and brokers and looking at these locations, trying to figure out if we could put a restaurant and create restaurant space and, um, that was interesting, but then sitting down with landlords and they would look and say, and how old are you? And how are you capitalizing this business? <laughs> and how are you going to securitize this lease? So that was the first major hurdle for us to get over. And we were incredibly lucky in our first location. We sat down with this landlord of a, a large office building in San Francisco and he just loved the idea. And he said, you know what, I, I'm willing to take a flyer on you guys and um, rent this space to you. And I think you're going to turn it into something awesome. And I think he, he's been very happy that he did that. And you're still in that same location. That was the original location. How many yeah. seats do you have there? Exactly. So that restaurant has about 30 seats. It's not, it's mostly, it's a down, downtown mm -hmm. high volume lunch mostly. Gotcha. And so 95% of the meals are, are leaving um, and not being enjoyed in house. And so it's very high volume people coming in. So the, the first one we actually, uh, we just bootstrapped ourselves. And so we did most of the construction ourselves. I always like to joke that I got to do all sorts of things I never thought I would get to do, like drive a scissor lift and use a jackhammer and a nail gun. But um, we got it together. And so we hired our first staff um, the night before we opened um, because we didn't really have the resources to, to uh, invest in training. And so we just said, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to open the doors tomorrow and we're going to see what happens. And it was mayhem. <laughs> oh, I'd like to hear more about the mayhem. Tell us what happened. So another funny twist in being um, 
inexperienced and naive, we said, okay, how are we going to promote this new restaurant we're opening? And so at the time I just got all the local papers together and picked up the phone, called the editors and said, Hey, you know, this is what we're doing. It's going to be really different. We're opening this date. And um, we were incredibly fortunate to get placements in every major Bay Area publication within our first two weeks of opening. So even on, on our first day, we had a line down Sansom Street and around the block on Pine for people waiting for us to open. Well, you know, that's fantastic that you were able to get that press right off the bat and you created instant awareness for Mix. But then what happened? Were you able to serve people the way you hoped you could and deliver a, you know, a really quality product and, you know, give people a great experience right off the bat? Or were there some hurdles there as well? Oh, the first day was rough. We ran out of food. The line was uh, about a 45 minute wait. It was, it was a, it was a regular old disaster, but at the end, people did love the product and we were delivering on this mission to bring incredibly high quality, delicious meals that were healthy uh, to a lot of people. And so um, the, after we shut down on the first day, after we were done with service, we said, oh my gosh, there's no way we can open tomorrow. How are we going to get everything prepped? How are we going to do this again? And not to mention, we need to double our staff overnight. So as soon as we closed our doors, I posted a Craigslist ad and said, show up tonight for an interview and you'll have a job tomorrow. <laughs> and, and we were up most of the night getting ready. Um, we got the new em- employee members ready to go and at least they had uniforms on. And we opened our doors again. And every day, I would say, you know, especially from the start, we got incredibly better probably doubled how better how much better we were day over day till the end of the month we had figured a lot out and had a pretty good uh humming business did you start getting press reviews as well from critics in san francisco was there any of that happening at the time well interestingly right when we opened was right when yelp was starting and so Yelp was really for the, the first time giving consumers the voice. Um, and so it was very interesting because we were able to get a tremendous amount of supporters on Yelp that were just coming and saying how much they loved us and um, why we were special and why we were different. And so I would say, you know, that was our first big reviews were our customer reviews that were coming through loud and clear. That's really opportune. You know, I was going to ask about social media and online reviews, and I can't recall exactly when that all started, but now you're putting a timeline to it and you're right there at the, you know, at the beginning of it. Yeah. That's that's exactly. We even, we had a friend that was, that said to us right before we were open that was like, Hey, there's this site called Yelp you know, we should make sure to get you guys a profile on it. And so he had gone and set up our profile for us for that location. So we were there and listed as soon as we opened, which was great. So you have a statistic that I find very impressive. Your most loyal customers are dining at Mix 21 times a month on average. That's pretty impressive statistic. And I think that's tremendous. Now, I'm sure it's a combination of the food and the service, but the ambiance plays a part as well. So let's start with the menu. And I'd like you to please describe to me exactly what the menu is all about and what's special and what are most popular and what the guests really appreciate. And then we'll talk about the sustainability piece and the low impact that you're actually making and, you know, the positive impact you're making on staffing we'll get to in a moment, but let's start with the menu. Yeah, absolutely. So the menu from the beginning has always been incredibly plant forward. So I've always been a huge salad fan. And now we have to take a, a trip back in time, 15 years. And at the time, salads were still not considered a meal. They were considered an appetizer, a side. It wasn't, you didn't, most people didn't eat a full salad for a meal. 
I was somebody that did and really enjoyed that. And so this idea to have a salad, a predominantly salad only restaurant was very, very nascent and um, new to people. But our whole idea was to take meals that you would expect to get in this white tablecloth restaurant and deconstruct them in a salad. So for instance, we have a salad that's been on our menu the whole time called The Bachelor that's um, grilled flat iron steak. Um, it has herb roasted potatoes and blue cheese, cherry tomatoes, caramelized onions um, on mixed greens with a balsamic dressing. And so it was kind of think of your steak and potatoes entree but now you could get it as a salad. And so we did that with most of our salads. And so we have, um, we still have four salads that have been on our menu the entire time um, that we are incredibly well known for. Another one is called the cowboy that is grilled chicken with roasted red peppers, black beans, um, cheddar cheese with um, a, Point raised blue cheese dressing and a chipotle honey drizzle on top. And so we really wanted to create these salads that were real meals, that were hearty, that didn't leave you um, hungry after two hours. And it really resonated with people. And one of the funny things was after we had been open a few months, uh, someone came to us and, and they said, you know, I can't believe it. You've gotten dudes to eat salads and you'd look at our line and it was 50% male and 50% female. And um, it, it was this point in time where people's eating patterns were shifting and people wanted something that wasn't so heavy as a burrito or pizza or burger, which is the main things that you could get. So how extensive is the menu? So the menu is predominantly made up of our signature salads that are chef created, but then we have also a design your own category. So we it. have over a hundred different ingredients that you can choose from to create and customize your salad or bowl. We um, also added about, I think it was seven years ago, the ability to make grain bowls. So using a mix of a grain and um, green base but really just to have kind of this plethora of incredible ingredients for you to be your own chef if you didn't want to go with our one of our signature salads. And those ingredients are primarily locally sourced, if I'm correct? Yes. Now, let me ask the question. You have multiple locations, but are some of them out of the state of California? Yes. I thought so. I saw Dallas, I think, and, and a few other places as well. So yeah. I guess that leads to the next question. Are the menus, do they vary at all or is it completely consistent in all the locations? And if that is the case, then how are you sourcing those ingredients locally from different states? Yeah. So it, um, we have separate supply chains for every region that we're in. Mm -hmm. um, and so the menus are consistent, but we don't necessarily have the same products. So for example, we use... Hodo, hodo soy tofu in the Bay Area, which is a, a local purveyor of tofu that's amazing. But in Dallas, we have um, a different local partner that we use there. And so that's what we do with most of the products. So opening up a, a new territory or region is a big deal for us and really starts with the sourcing. How many locations do you have? Right now we have 19. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And you're still growing. You're adding new locations. And how often? We, we are. So we've, we added uh, four locations this year. Next year, we'll increase that. So we're, we're steadily, steadily growing. Now, you're also known for promoting heavily from within, primarily your management talent as well. So are you relocating good people that you start with and you're sending them across the country to manage your different locations? So uh, we are trying to do that. Um, it's interesting because in going to Dallas, we could not convince anybody from San Francisco to move to Dallas. Um, so we had to grow our own team there. 
but um, we've seen a lot of movement between Los Angeles and San Francisco, and um, we'll be opening up Arizona at the beginning of the year. And so we'll have um, some San Francisco employees that will go to Arizona for that journey. This begs the question, how do you grow and scale a business and maintain control and quality and consistency in that business when you and your partners and the people involved in this business can't be in all those locations at once? And what is the accountability and how busy does that keep you, you know, keeping tabs on the different locations versus what you really maybe want to do and, you know, continue to grow the concept in other ways, but not be bogged down by the minutia of, geez, how do we manage 19 separate locations and keep that quality and consistency going, if that makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that we go really deep on is all of our systems and protocols and also our technology to be able to support this. Um, what is absolutely essential for us is that we want, when you have a, an experience in San Francisco, we want that experience to be the same in LA or anywhere else you go. For sure. And Correct. so we, we've invested incredibly heavily in our operations to be able to ensure um, the quality and consistency of our product. And the nice thing is that as we've grown, we've really been able to grow our corporate team as well. And so adding on key players in the realm of our director of culinary to our director of supply chain to help uh, coordinate and really own these aspects of our business. Do you personally and, you know, the other partners that you have select the new locations? You play a key part in that. You fly to the different, you know, places that you're planning on opening and you select the location or how does that work? You work with local real estate agents, that kind of thing. And you have certain parameters that you're looking for. And then when you have a short list, you kind of go check them out. Like, What's the process like for that? Yeah. Um, so I'm very involved in our real estate selection. It's one part of the business that I really love. And I think, um, and I'm curious to hear if you have this perspective as, as well as a restaurateur, but um, in selecting a, a location, as much as you want it to be science, there's a large amount of art to it and gut feel. And so as much as you want to validate um, with foot, foot traffic and um, who else is coming and other comps in terms of what other places are doing, in terms of revenue, those are all good and, and validating. Um, but there is just this sense that you get when you're in a location, whether or not it, it can be right for your concept. For sure. And so um, we have an amazing VP of real estate. And so he and I spend a lot of time on the road looking at various places, contemplating where Mick should go. And obviously, sales and profit goals for each location have to fall in place. And has that been relatively consistent from what you would project a new location, you know, based on your benchmarks? Um, it has been relatively consistent. I mean, some is it's unknown territory for us. Yeah. Um, and so we still need, I would say, um, a lot more proof points for me to be able to say, yes, I'm actually, I can absolutely put a stake in the ground that. Things are very similar, um, but you know I, I think we've been very pleasantly surprised by how well the concept is received and how people come in and they might be a little overwhelmed at first where you look and you see this wall of lettuce and all these ingredients are like, whoa, what do I do here? Um, but our chefs are there to guide you through and help you through your first experience and then people take a bite and they're like, wow, this is really different. I've never had a salad like this. Awesome. Now, I've always believed that a great restaurant website brings the restaurant experience to life for the customer before they actually walk in the door. And when mm -hmm. I went to the mixed website, I instantly got the, the vibe of what you're all about. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like it's so clean and it's so natural and it's so earthy and it's so 
outdoorsy and it's just so, you know, it just grabs you. So I guess I'm getting the feeling like I've never actually been to a mixed location, but I'm sure that the ambiance and the atmosphere mirrors the website or you get that same feeling. Can you describe to us walking through the door of an average mixed, what, you know, what's the feeling? What's the look? What's the appeal? Yeah. So we always want our restaurants to first and foremost showcase our ingredients and let that be the art. I mean, we have this unbelievable, beautiful produce that we put on right there on display, usually right when you first walk in. And um, that to people, we just, we receive all of our deliveries daily from, you know, so many different suppliers and, so our product is really as fresh as you can get. And so we just want our customers to know that as soon as they walk in the door. And, and so we let our ingredients and our line really shine um, and be the backdrop to then create a comfortable place for people to dine in. And so um, if you come into a mix, the whole idea is that it's somewhere that you would be comfortable taking your kids to your mom to having a, a work event as well. You know, we want it to be this, this place that is flexible and that really everybody feels welcome because that is a huge part of our mission is that we want to bring better eating to everyone. And um, so in order to do that, we have to have someone of a, a place that feels universally, universally comfortable and uh, people feel welcome. I'm getting the sense that your supply chain partners really understand and really take a stance for the quality and they absolutely ensure that everything they send to you is absolutely perfect. Would you say that's true? <laughs> Most of the time, most right. of the time, you know, we occasionally get our wilty baby kale and then they know we're going to be on the phone saying, hey, mm -hmm. what, what are you sending us? <laughs> but obviously the partners you've selected are, you know, the upper echelon and it is about local, sustainable, organic, all the best because, you know, your mission really is healthy food, even though it's, you know, a fast casual concept, the healthy part definitely comes first and the quality as well. I'm definitely yeah, getting that exactly. sense. Exactly. And the other thing for us that's incredibly important is that we've always wanted to lead with the product and have this amazing thing. So if you care about it, if you don't care about environmental responsibility or you don't even care about eating healthfully, we don't care. We want you to have an amazing meal that blows your mind when you come into mixed and have something that's crave worthy and delicious and then be able to then also explain, hey, oh, and this is also, it just happens to be how we do business and how we run our business. In addition to your existing regular menu, do you do sort of off the menu specials from time to time? And then how often do you roll out new menu items that actually go on the regular menu? And then what's that R&D process like? Yeah, so we change our menu seasonally. And that's always been a, a core tenant of who we are. And so we always we're big believers in eating with the season and eating when things are at their best. And then also, of course, of being able to source locally, you can only get things certain times of year. There's a few exceptions we have to make, um, but it, it really is important to us. And that also allows us to be really creative in what we're putting on the menu and what we're experimenting with. And, trying to take our customers on a journey to try things that they might have necessarily have never heard of or, and are willing to give it a try with us. And so um, being able to change our menu so frequently is, is a big part. I mean, it's a huge operational complexity as you can imagine, um, but it's something that we really believe in. Now you have another amazing statistic. All these statistics are really capturing my imagination, but you serve over a million pounds of local sustainable and organic vegetables per location on an annual basis, right? Not per location, but um, yeah, um, uh, uh, that was, yeah, when that was last time, we're over 2 million now, but um, wow. it, yeah, it, we're, we're, we're going up. 
<laughs> it's getting better. Wow, that's um, fantastic. Yeah. And you're directing 99% of waste away from landfills as well. So there's the sustainability piece. I mean, eco-friendly, it's really hard to argue with that. Yeah. I mean, how do you do it? One of the things that was really interesting that when we were looking to start mixed, we said, okay, you know, we're figuring out how to build our space in an environmentally responsible way. So implementing green building practices, we're being very mindful of water conservation and energy efficiency. We're being very detailed about where we're sourcing our food. And then we said, now we have to think about what, is the trash that we're going to generate from our operations. Right. And um, so we were very lucky to start in San Francisco that already had a municipal compost program. Um, and so we were able to piggyback on that and think about how we could get as many of our products uh, and as much of our waste stream from the black bin, which is our uh, landfill bin, to either the compost or the recycling bin instead. And um, so we've worked pretty diligently to get that uh, to uh, as good as we can. There's still some barriers that we have that we're trying to work through. Uh, gloves for ex are one example of something that goes in the landfill for us because we haven't been able to find a good compostable alternative. Um, but that's something you know where we are constantly pushing on and saying, okay, packaging manufacturers, let's get together and try to solve this problem and work through. That's amazing. There must be, are there challenges in-house at the locations to, you know, direct everything into compostable and versus, okay, the average restaurant in the country has a dumpster out back and every get, everything gets tossed in the dumpster. And now you need specific space to separate and compost and, you know, to do the efforts that you're doing, there must be extra challenges involved in that. Am I correct? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for us is actually employee education is pretty easy. You know, if it's part of your job, you have to do this. Mm -hmm. um, we train our employees how to do it. But our customers, uh, that's another issue because they still, no matter how much we try to put pictures and words and um, make it very clear about what people are supposed to do, you still watch them and they just put things in the wrong bin. So um, we actually go through all of our garbage cans and properly resort for anything that's in the front of the house. You're really committed to this. <laughs> we are committed. <laughs> all right, let's talk about the staff. We already talked about promotion from within, but you also have um, an average three-year tenure of most of your staff, right? Which is pretty incredible, especially with restaurants struggling with this labor shortage and I went to an industry conference a, a while back and I learned that the average tenure of a new restaurant employee is about four months in this business. So to have three years plus, you're doing something right. Let's talk about training and development and recognition and rewards. And what do you do that, you know, leads to the loyalty you have with your staff? Yeah. I, I one of the things I am so proud to share is that our first employee that we hired um, is still with us today. So 15 years on, and um, I think that's pretty amazing. We, we hired Alberto to be our first dishwasher, and he is still with us now. And so he is now a, a runner and organizer. He refuses to go up any higher in the chain. We've tried to promote him to management, um, and he hasn't been interested in it. But that that's a huge part of of our DNA and who we are, we wanted to create a good supportive workplace. And um, in the restaurant industry, that is not always the case. And it certainly wasn't the case 15 years ago. And That's so amazing that, that you say that. I have a similar story and I don't mean to interrupt you, but my very first employee in my very first restaurant was 15 years old. He started off as my first dishwasher. And I'd say within two or three weeks, he was closing the restaurant doors for us a couple nights of the week. He was sending the credit card batch and doing all this kind of stuff. And then he just wanted to learn the business. You could tell he had a passion for it and that that's what he wanted to do. And for the next, oh, I don't know, 18 years or so, I taught this kid everything that I knew and 
he left to open his own restaurant. So this is what's possible That's amazing. in business. And you've got a Good very job. story, you know? So, you know, motivating, directing, leading by example, training, you know, recognition and rewards, all that goes such a long way in this business. And obviously you agree with that because you're, yeah. you're doing very similar things. Um, what's your training like? You, you mentioned, oh, this is interesting because when you first opened Mix, it's like you just threw people out there and yep. immediately overnight you had to hire a whole nother crew because things were just going crazy. But eventually when things settled down, you started to put these systems in place. And I'm sure that your philosophies and your mission statement became the core philosophy of how you wanted to, you know, onboard new people and get them indoctrinated into what your mission was about and then give the best service and represent your brand as it should be represented, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, so we just threw employees to the wolves when we first opened. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, that being said, I mean, I joke with that, but we did even with those employees. I mean, we, we started training them and then once we would shut down, we would always work on training and knew that was a really important part for people to feel successful in their role. We had one of our salad chefs um, who we'd hired to be a lead salad chef. He was really experienced and a great guy who was on the line for 10 minutes and he walked away and was like, I can't handle this pressure. And so um, there was at that point we realized, you know, there's a specific type of, chef that wants to be customer facing and have that interaction. Um, and then at the same time, you really have to prepare people and give them the tools and the know how to be successful in their role. And so that has always been a big focus and something that, you know, I, I still think we have a ton of room for improvement on, to be honest, is really cementing the best training practices and making sure that people are ready when they're asked to go in and perform their role. I think, you know, we, what we hear is when we do have to turn over, one of the biggest reasons is because they feel like their training was too short. And um, so, you know, you can see just through that, that it's immensely important to the employees and their long-term success. But I think the, the other thing that we have done successfully for employees is always thought about how we could go above and beyond. So uh, my partner, who is my husband, who had gone to business school, um, he came from a corporate background. And so one of the real benefits of that was that he just assumed that everything that he was used to working for a large corporation were things that we should have for our employees. And so... um, We, a year or two after opening, we were able to um, implement a full healthcare program for all of our employees. It's um, actually zero contribution from the employee. Um, We're able to launch a 401k program. We were also, um, in terms of setting up people for success and people that wanted to move up in their positions, sent up a kind of a bench succession training plan that would allow people to raise their hand and say, Hey, I'm really interested in learning this position. And so putting them on a path to be able to do that. So this is amazing as well. You're offering, you know, 100% Um, health insurance, 401k matching, all those things. Obviously, your locations have to be very profitable in order to do this. And I'm also wondering, you know, what are your financial systems like? I mean, you obviously have certain cost controls and you have to keep those costs in line, especially when you're buying the highest quality ingredients that aren't, you know, the most cost effective device. So then the pricing comes into play and what you're charging for your product, it all needs to work. I mean, all these things in order to do everything that you're doing, right? So many puzzle pieces. (laughs) There really are. I mean, the business of a thousand details, but I mean, the critical finances, you know, the food, beverage and labor costs, also known as prime costs, absolutely are essential in this business. So you got somebody watching that too, I'm sure. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, my, so my husband actually, when he coming from the corporate world, he came 
from um, a technology background. And so from the get-go, he has been always very interested in what kind of systems that we could put in place and how we could leverage technology to really help propel our business. Yes. And so even when it came down to having our first POS system, um, my husband took a look at it and he was just like, there are two options on the market. I don't like either. I'm going to build our own. And um, so that's kind of been his approach is always to look and see what's in the market. And if it's not there, then we're going to build our own. Um, And so we built our own ERP system that did all of our inventory management and ordering that was amazing. Um, Now, you know, there's bigger players on the market that do a really good job as well that we've been able to swap out and use off the shelf technology for, but those types of systems have been really game changing for us to have an incredible handle on how our business is running and operating and giving the clear metrics to our general managers to understand where they are and what levers they need to pull pull to improve their results. That's extraordinary. I don't know any other restaurant owners that can actually <laughs> engineer and create their own POS system. This is a first <laughs> for the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. That's extraordinary. Yeah. Wow, that's that's really amazing. What other types of technology are you utilizing? You're doing online ordering, and you've already mentioned the inventory control and, and all that software and whatnot, but online ordering just comes to mind. What other things are you using? Yeah, so online ordering, um, we've done that for a really long time. You know, when we opened that first store, um, that first week, someone walked in and asked me, oh, do you guys cater? I was like, of course we cater. I'm like, we need a catering menu. <laughs> and um, so from from very early on, we saw that this was a good opportunity for us. And um, so we integrated an online ordering system. I can't remember. It had to be like more than 10 years ago. Um, and that's a big part of our business, uh, along with third-party delivery. So, you know, the Caviar and DoorDashes of the world. So um, the Caviar team actually came to us early on when they just had the idea for Caviar and were talking to restaurants to see what they thought. And, um, you know, they found exactly the right person in my husband that could understand both sides of the equation. And so um, he looked at him and said, you know, yes, this is such a pronounced problem for for us. And we would love for you to solve delivery and would love to partner with you um, to make that happen. That's awesome. Let's talk about, let's go back to the menu really quick, because I think I asked you, and maybe I missed it if you did answer, but I wanted to ask you about adding new menu items and what that process is all about and how you decide and how you do you test these things in advance. Do you do focus groups? Do you say, we think this is a good idea, and then we sample in certain locations? Like, what's that process like? Yeah. Um, so our R&D process is really fun. So our director of culinary is uh, has a fine dining background. And um, so what it usually starts out with is uh, we bring together all the, the key people in thinking through what new things we should bring on to the menu. So Um, That means bringing in finance and marketing and director of culinary and operations and myself to kind of say like, hey, what what are we seeing? What are some, you know, early trends that we're excited about? Um, Where do we think we want to take next? And so we kind of have a big brainstorm and then send chef off to the kitchen to start tinkering and iterating and putting together some menus. And then we spend a lot of time in the kitchen tasting and trying new things and That's putting the fun part. Oh, it's so fun. I love it. Um, and getting to put together different combinations. And, and so eventually we'll kind of hone down on, you know, what we want to launch as the seasonal menu for a season. Um, and then we don't do consumer testing um, because usually we're 
creating menus outside of the season. And so it's easier for us to, uh, to know how good an heirloom tomato tastes, for example, when we're thinking about the summer menu, but yet we can't actually source any heirloom tomatoes. Um, or, you know, you're getting ones that aren't good representations of what they'll be in that summer. So we feel like that's a kind of hard leap for to ask a consumer to take and trying things out, but um, we can do as a corporate team. Excellent. We've spent a lot of time talking about the sustainability and the stance that you've taken for the environment. Now, I understand you're the first fast casual restaurant that's achieved what they call B Corporation certification. What exactly does that mean? And why is that a tremendous accolade for your business? Yeah. So um, the B B certification, B Corp certified is um, basically means you're a business for good. So it means that you're supporting your employees, your customers, your environment, and all the stakeholders involved. And so it's a, it's a third party verification that um, is an intensive process to go through. Uh, when I started, I didn't realize how intensive it is. I mean, it is literally hundreds of questions about how you operate and that it's able to then compile a score to see if you hit the threshold for which you can receive the certification. And then they actually go and verify that what you say and how you've answered these questions is, is correct. Um, so it, it's, a, it's an intensive process, and that's why most restaurants don't go through it. <laughs> um, but it was really important for us. We know that we've been doing the right thing and that we stand for the right thing. Um, but we just wanted to join these other businesses that have the same perspective and hope to start this movement of business as a force for good. Did you, well, you obviously were aware of this, so don't let me speak for you, but did you apply for this or did someone approach you knowing what you were all about saying you should really apply for this? How did that go? Um, well, it's something that honestly I, I wanted to do for a long time. Um, it was just about uh, really having the time and resources to be able to go through the process. And um, so we were able to do that two years ago. And um, so it, it was kind of a, a force. I had known about it um, and wanted to be a part of it. And then we were starting to have other people saying like, hey, why aren't you um, a B Corp? And, and so mm -hmm. it was just like, okay, you know what? It's time. It's time for us to do this. Excellent. Let's shift gears and talk about marketing. Do you need to market anymore? Is there just such an awareness and a buzz in the marketplace, plus your reviews and your social media speak for you? I mean, what do you do? Yeah, I mean, you always have to market. Uh, I wish we could say we just, you know, could sit back and not have to get out there. But I mean, in our mission to bringing better eating to as many people as possible, we want to convert the people that necessarily will say, oh, I don't like salads. Oh, you know, that's not for me. Oh, I don't want to eat that way. Um, you know, there's always conversion to be made and to be able to expose people to our type of food. And um, so, you know, that's one way that we look at our marketing, but also as we go and we open in new regions and new areas that don't necessarily know who mixed is and what we're about. Um, we need to get the, get the word out and we need to let people know that we're here and uh, we're excited to bring them great food. How often do you travel to different locations personally yourself? I am in one of our restaurants probably almost every day. And so, you know, I love saying hi to the team, thanking everybody for their work. Um, I also like testing the product and seeing, you know, if there are any inconsistencies and if anything's a little bit off that chef needs to come in and take a look at. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty highly attuned to what's going on in, in the restaurants. Do you show up unannounced or do they sometimes know you're coming or is it a combination of both? 
So <laughs> the stores in San Francisco, I definitely just show up. Um, <laughs> but when I'm usually flying somewhere, I always give the teams the, the heads up that I'm going to be in. No one likes the shock of seeing me walk in and not feeling prepared. And so I don't like to do that to our teams. That's good. Okay. How would you describe your leadership style? I try to be collaborative, but decisive. So I like to have the relevant people voice their opinion on any topic that we might be discussing. Um, but then I feel like once we've had a chance to kind of talk through what some of the options are, I like to be very decisive in my decision making and pick a path and move forward. So I don't, I don't tend to let the grass grow between my toes. Um, and I like to, to move quickly and uh, efficiently and effectively and hopefully um, treat everyone with an immense amount of respect and gratitude for being on this journey with us and hopefully constantly strive to be better. You sound like a great leader. It's all about teamwork and respect and collaboration and gratitude and all those things serve you well, obviously. Do you have an exit strategy in mind? <laughs> um, different things to different people, but I'm sure you have one. Yeah, no, I mean, I think for us, we love what we do. And so when I look and say, you know, how do I want to spend my time? How do I want to spend the next 10, 15, 20 years of my life? I want to continue being able to grow our team and create a good work environment for our employees. I want to continue serving the world good food. And so that means for us opening up more restaurants and bringing mix to as many people as possible. And so, you know, I have aspirations that there could be a thousand mix across the U S and so I've got a lot of work to do. Fantastic. No limit full speed ahead. Leslie, it's been my pleasure hosting you on the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And thanks to you, audience, for listening. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, and we will see you in the next episode. Stay tuned. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You know, I'm always intrigued and amazed at how some people, really dynamic personalities in this most dynamic business, can open up a single location and then go on to open up two, four, five, ten, and grow a brand and grow a concept, not just in a region or in a state, but internationally sometimes, or even in multiple states. This episode was really inspiring in that regard. Of course, it takes systems to create the consistency, to create the amazing and memorable guest experiences. And whether you visit a location in San Francisco or in this case, a new location for Mixed is in Scottsdale, you know that it's going to be on brand, on point, quality food that cares for the environment with great service. So important. You know, I'm also really passionate about working with clients, and every quarter I have an opportunity or two to work with a new client one-on-one. -on -one. Anything that challenges you, pain points in this business, why not reach out to me? Who knows? Maybe we could work together. I offer a 30-minute, no-obligation, um, completely complimentary consultation call where we'll just talk shop, and you can tell me about what challenges you, and who knows? Maybe we can work together. If this intrigues you, reach out to me, Roger, spelled R-O-G-E, at restaurantrockstars.com. Finally, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you like the podcast, please let everyone know about it. Leave us a review on iTunes. It'll help other owners, managers, and hospitality professionals find us. Thanks again for listening. We will see you in the next episode.